The gospel reading continues in John chapter 4, verse 27. Just then, Jesus' disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, What do you want, or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, Come and see, a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on the way to him. The prophet Isaiah declares that the grass of the field will wither, the flowers will fall, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. And we say, thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? In this moment, O oh God, we ask, that you would come and be with us. That you would dialogue with our hearts, our minds, and our souls. And that our conversation we have with you, the living word, will quench our thirst and our desires this day. So that we might leave a transformed people reflecting your love and your grace in all that we do. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Twelve years does not seem like a long time, but a lot can happen in twelve years. Twelve years ago on Memorial Day weekend, I made my way to Durham, North Carolina for a meeting. I was a new student at Duke Divinity, and at this time I still had a flip phone, I had not yet taken the leap of faith of placing a GPS in my car, and so whenever I would head out on a journey, I would print off directions from MapQuest. I am not as gifted as the Reverend Will Malambri when it comes to folding up maps, so I do not keep maps in my car. I am of the mindset that the only thing that should be in the car is the person driving the car and the passengers. Having an infant has really challenged that notion. <laughs> there is stuff in the car I did not even know ever belonged in a car. So I make my way to Durham, North Carolina, just me, myself, and some directions. And I knew I had to make my way through Charlotte, North Carolina. So I made my way from Interstate 20, then I made the journey up through 77, heading toward Interstate 85, and unbeknownst to me that there was a traffic jam. And I absolutely despise traffic. Now that we have apps on our phones that give us GPS, I'm always looking for the quickest route and to be rerouted around whatever log jam might be before me. But this day I had none of that, and so I just went into this situation unprepared, not knowing what I was going to find. And as I started coming into Charlotte, the traffic became heavier and heavier, and it screeched to a stop. And I thought, well, I'm in a big city. I'm from a small town. This is what big city traffic is like. We'll get moving. There was probably a wreck or something before us. Two hours later, after only going a mile, I am like frantically going through every radio station, AM and FM, trying to discern what is happening. I am calling my family because I don't have the internet on my phone where I could just pull something up at the blink of an eye and know what was happening. And so finally, I stumbled upon a radio station that had a commercial. 
the Coca-Cola 600 NASCAR race was happening. <laughs> they also had a little bit of construction happening near Concord Mills. Mix those together with Memorial Day traffic. It was Armageddon in Charlotte. I arrived to my destination many hours later than expected. And to this day, even though it's been 12 years, I am so grateful that technology has come such a long way in such a short time that I can hold my phone in the palm of my hand, put in a destination, and the fascinating thing is that several routes will pop up. Usually you have the shortest route. And then you also have the route that is the fewest miles. And then they will always add a third route. I really never know why they add the third route when you have the shortest distance in time and the shortest distance in miles, but then they'll be like, well, if you want to, you can just go this way. Maybe it's a scenic route. Maybe it's a route that they think you might enjoy along the way. Maybe it's the least traveled path. And this morning, you might be thinking, why is Walter talking about traffic in Charlotte and several routes on your GPS. I think the intersection is here in John 4. When Connie read the passage earlier in Scripture, or in the service, I wonder if you caught the passage she read. It's John reflecting on Jesus. And it's very early on, and John simply notes, Jesus had to go to Samaria. Now that word had carries with it a lot of meaning and connotations. Whenever someone tells me I have to do something, it's like an order. It's a demand. It is not an option. Maybe it's uh, saying like, you have to take the child now. Or maybe it's you have to take the garbage out. Or you have to do this for me. Why did Jesus have to go to Samaria? I think there's four reasons why, and I want to explore those with you this morning. But before we jump into those four reasons, I want to give you a little background on Samaria. Samaria is a part of what we think of as the promised land, Israel. Uh, it is a part of the area in which God had destined for God's people to live and to reside in all of their days. But Samaria has a complicated history and actually a complicated present at the very moment now. Where Samaria is located is in what we commonly think of as the West Bank, west of the Jordan River. And Samaria is this area that is couched between the Galilean region in the north where Jesus grew up where he um, was able to learn from his father the art of carpentry and then began his ministry. And so Samaria is between the, the Galilee region in the north and the Judean region in the south where Jerusalem is located. And so Samaria, in a sense, is in the heart of the country. And the reason why it's a complicated past is because when God's people were about to cross over the Jordan River, to leave behind their years in the wilderness, Moses gave his final speech and he shared with the people the first thing they are to do when they cross over the river is to go up 
on the two mountains that they will see in the distance. And these two mountains look over the city of Shechem, which is in the valley between the two mountains. And on one mountain, Mount Ebal, they are supposed to proclaim the curses. And on Mount Gerizim, they're supposed to proclaim the blessings that God is offering. And so for the people who lived in this region, they believed that this Mount Gerizim was the most holy place in all of Israel, that it was ordained by God as to be the place of worship. And they believed that this was actually the location where Abraham took his son Isaac and was going to sacrifice him, and God provided by offering a ram. And so for the people living in this area of Samaria, Gerizim was the holy place. And they did not feel that it was necessary to go down to the Judean country to worship in Jerusalem. So this created a bit of tension in this area between Samaria and those who lived in Galilee and Judea who believed Jerusalem was the right place to worship. And the history is even more complicated because in 722 and 21 BC, the Assyrians conquered the promised land, this place that God had provided for God's people. And the great emperor Sargon came in and conquered this region, and he set up his camp in Samaria. And he had five kingdoms with him that he had kind of united, and he created five cities for them in Samaria. And he instituted their customs and their practices and their uh, diets and their religious practices. And throughout the years, the people who lived in that area began to intermarry, and the Samaritans who were Israelites and practiced a form of Judaism slightly different than the Galileans and the Judeans began to marry and they began to mix these cultures and what happened over the years as that tension grew between the Samaritans and what we would know as the Israelites. That they eventually became an entirely different people. And it came to a head in 128 B.C. when the Hasmonean king, John Hercon, conquered Samaria and destroyed their temple that was on the top of Mount Gerasim and created a Jewish temple which stood for many years until after the fall of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., that eventually the Romans destroyed that temple in Samaria. And so this is a place filled with tension and turmoil, and Jesus had to go there. Why? I think for four reasons. He had to go there for one person in particular, for a woman who was hurting, who felt ostracized, from the world. We discover that she's going to the well at the middle of the day when no one else is going there. That tells us several things. It it tells us that she's not comfortable being around her neighbors. It tells us that she's isolated. It tells us that she is carrying some sense of shame and guilt, and she would rather go about life alone than seeing her fellow neighbors. And our conversation we hear that she has with Jesus, we discover that she has lived a very difficult and trying life. She's had four husbands. 
and she's in the midst of transition at this very moment. Now, it's important for us to not think from a 21st century perspective upon this woman's situation. In the West, the church has viewed her, in a sense, as a chief sinner, a person who's promiscuous, a, a person who, who has very poor morals. But in the Eastern Church, the Orthodox Church, the Greek Orthodox Church, they've read this story differently. They think of the Leverite Law, where it says that if a woman's husband dies, she is to be passed on to another. This woman is broken and hurting. She's lost four husbands, and right now no one has taken her under their wing to claim her. She's living in the only place that she can find. Fascinating in this passage is Jesus never tells her something he tells people over and over again. He doesn't look at this woman and tell her your sins are forgiven. Rather, he offers her living water because he knows that she is hurting and that she is struggling, and that she is carrying this weight of this world. She is an isolated individual living in an isolated place. She is someone who has been pushed aside in a place that is full of division. Her story sounds very similar to the stories that we encounter here in 21st century America. And Jesus had to go to her to restore her, to give her hope, to give her living water, new life. The second reason Jesus had to go there is because he knew it would take people working alongside him to change the way the world thinks. And so his 12 disciples come back at the very end, and they see Jesus breaking three norms. A social norm, a religious norm, and a national norm. Jesus is speaking to a woman in the middle of the day. Rabbis are not supposed to do this. A Jew is speaking with a Samaritan. This is forbidden in their policies and procedures of their religion and of their state. And the disciples are astonished. And it's in that moment Jesus begins to teach them with his actions of saying the divisions we create, be it worship divisions or national divisions or social divisions, when we create those, there's collateral damage. And God's come to heal the people who feel isolated. The third reason he had to go to Samaria is because there was a group of people in a town who overlooked this individual. And Jesus had to go to Samaria so that they would learn that they aren't isolated and they aren't to isolate. 
this lady who had shame and guilt, the most fascinating part of this passage to me is that she leaves her water jar there at the well. The reason she comes, she realizes, is no longer the main reason of her life. She leaves that jar behind. She goes and she faces the people who would not even take her in, people she did not want to walk with in the morning, people who had placed shame upon her. And she says, there's a new way to think about life. I think we might have actually found the Messiah, and he's here in our backyard. And so Jesus came for her, for his disciples to learn this new way, and for this city to be turned upside down, to begin to be shaped by the grace and love of God. And the fourth reason why he had to go to Samaria is for you and for me. Earlier in the Gospel of John, there's another passage where there's two people talking past one another. That's kind of a similar um, experience for disciples of Jesus. Sometimes we just don't understand what he's trying to tell us. And out of this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, the author of the Gospel notes, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him might have life everlasting. And Jesus goes to Samaria. And Jesus comes to us and meets us in the places where we feel isolated and alone and separated where we feel like God is not present and we don't know how to get to God and we do not feel like there's anyone who understands. Where we carry the guilt and the shame of our past, where we'd rather be by ourselves than to face life's circumstances. And God comes to each one of us this day and invites us just to leave our shame and our guilt and our isolation and our pain and our hurt behind so that we might step out into a new future. That woman learned a new way to live. Those disciples learned a new way to teach. That town learned a new way to relate with one another. And I pray that we learn a new way to be the church. Where living water is poured out upon us. And that all people will know that there's no shame. That there's no guilt because that's been taken from us. And the things that we make up on our own that divide are meaningless. And the only thing of meaning is that God desires for us to grab people's hands and walk in a new way of life. Jesus had to go to Samaria in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.